So we've been looking at this little passage in Matthew 24 and 25 where Jesus is talking about uh, the end times, and uh, he's been talking with his disciples, and, and they want to know when. And uh, there's really two different events that are happening, the, uh, and, and they look uh, very, very similar to the disciples. The first is uh, the end of Jerusalem and uh, the temple era, which Jesus predicted there would be great destruction, not one stone left upon another. And that destruction of Jerusalem happened 40 years later in uh, 70 AD, just like Jesus had predicted. And then he's also talking about the end of the world as we know it, and that is still ahead of us. And so we live between these two events. The disciples wanted to know when, you know, when is all this going to happen? And today's followers of Jesus also want to know when. When is this going to happen? And Jesus spends a great deal of time trying to impress on his followers, don't worry about the when. Instead, live ready. Live ready. Don't worry about the when. And it's going to happen. So you just don't know when, but if you're living ready, then you're always ready. So you're <clears throat> ready when it happens, even if it catches you by surprise. In fact, look what he says. Here's how to, to, to get yourself to live ready. Number one is be aware. Stay awake. In verse 36 of chapter 24, he says, But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now you go, time out, time out. If Jesus is God, or since Jesus is God, how can he not know the day or the hour of his return to this earth? It's such a big event. Well, the first answer would be found in Philippians chapter 2 that talks about that uh, God recognized there needed to be a Savior because of sin. There was separation from God, that sin had to be paid for somehow, that people couldn't even pay for their own, and so that he sent his son Jesus into this world. So it says Jesus voluntarily came into this world, and he emptied himself is the word kenosis in Greek, and so it's called the kenosis passage. He emptied himself of whatever was necessary. He set aside. It's just like when you go on a trip. You don't take everything you own if you're going to go on a trip, say, like our trip to Egypt to Israel. You set aside a whole bunch of stuff. You just bring, hopefully... <laughs> A light suitcase, okay? <laughs> and just the essentials. You don't bring everything. So Jesus set aside whatever he needed to of the glories of heaven and of the, uh, the abilities of God that he set aside whatever was necessary to become a human being, to find himself locked into time and space and into one particular mortal body and he set aside. So he was saying at this point, he, God in heaven knew when Jesus was going to return, but Jesus didn't even know that. The angels didn't know that. Just God the Father. So one answer is Jesus emptied that portion out. In other words, for instance, how much spare change do you have in your house? You say, huh? What's the deal? Well, it's a knowable number. It's a, it's a finite number, isn't it? And if you went to your house and collected all the change from all the places that it got dropped and uh, put it all in one spot and then counted it, you would know that number. It's probably not all that important, but you would learn that if you had focused on it, if you did your homework, you would know. Jesus isn't really focusing on when is the return of Christ because he knows it's going to happen and he knows it's going to happen exactly when God says, now's the time, let's put this into action. And I'm sure when Jesus said this, when he was walking on the earth, it was a true statement that he didn't, he didn't have it in his front lobe. But I'm sure today, and since Jesus has returned to heaven, that he knows exactly when he's going to return to the earth. 
But I'm also convinced that nobody is going to be able to guess the right date. Nobody. It says you don't know the day or the hour. And I'm convinced if God says, if somebody says that's the day, God for sure is not going to use that day. Nobody's going to be able to say, look, I looked things over, I did my research, and I guessed the exact day. It's just not going to work that way. And uh, so don't waste any time on it. Jesus said, live ready. It's going to arrive suddenly and too quickly for tardy, last-minute dash of preparations. You can't wait till you see the, the indicators. It's, you're not going to know. Look at verse 37. As the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Noah had lived for quite a while in, a, in an age where there was a lot of wickedness. And God looked around the world. You can read this in the earliest chapters in Genesis, 4, 5, and 6 in that, in that window. And God is so grieved that people have sinned and have walked away from him and don't care and are, are just living sinful lives. That he comes to Noah and he says, I want you to build an ark. And Noah probably goes, a What? Well, it's a boat, and it's shaped like this, and gave him the dimensions, because I'm going to have you and anybody who wants to, to follow you in righteousness will be on the boat, and their lives will be saved. But other than that, I'm going to destroy the whole world with a flood. So get the ark ready. Noah starts working on the ark. We thought our project took a long time. <laughs> we were 16 years from the time we made our first submission until we finally got back here. It was 100 years, 100 years Noah is working on this ark, and I'm sure people heard about it, and so they came out to check it out, kind of like it was a, uh, you know, was a, a curiosity, something to go see, and I'm sure they had comments or jokes or did some teasing or talked behind his back, and they would ask Noah, why are you building this whatever it is? And Noah says, because God is so repulsed by sin that he's going to destroy the whole world with a flood, and you need to repent of your sin and help me build this, and then to be on this boat. Otherwise, you will not be saved. A hundred years. There's no record of one convert other than his family. So were they taken by surprise? Yes, they were. But Noah, I tried to tell you, why didn't you listen? God said, this is what's going to happen. Noah got ready and he and his family were the only ones saved. Verse 40, Jesus says, two men will be in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. It's going to happen suddenly. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day the Lord is coming. Know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Ever since we moved back on this camp, we took down the fence, we've had a night guard. They work from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Do you know what time the bad guys show up? They show up at 3 a.m. right after the bars close. <laughs> you think, well, of course, yes, but the reason we know that is because the guy's standing here, has stayed awake and watching. They come in, and uh, he's shining his flashlight from here at them, and we're not, I'm not telling you what else he's armed with, but, you know, he's, um, <clears throat> he's giving them a warning of, go play somewhere else. You know, this is, this is not where you're supposed to be, and he is, he is aware of that because he has watched the whole time until they show up. Jesus says, be aware, watch. 
Listen up, focus, change your life's direction. If you know you're not right with God today, then get your heart right. Number two, he says, be ready. Do the advanced preparation. He says, you must be ready, verse 44, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, I heard about a guy, I might have told you about him before. He is a retired commander from the military, and so he went and he got a job just for fun in retirement as a greeter at Walmart. He was absolutely outstanding. He, he could greet everybody, he would shake their hands, he would look them in the eye, he could help them point them where they wanted to go. He only had one fault. He was always about 10 minutes late to work. It just drove him crazy, the management at Walmart. So finally they come to him and say, uh, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. You know, we like having you here, but when you showed up in your, for your work in the military, what would they say to you in the morning? And he says, oh, he smiles. He says, they always said, good morning, general. <laughs> so when I was in the military on duty, Every, we'd have about two commander's calls every weekend, and you were expected to be there in the room ready before the commander ever showed up. And you were supposed to be present and ready to answer questions. You'd get in the room. You'd find your assigned seat. You'd check your uniform. Is it green or blue today? Am I in the right color? You know, you'd double-check everything else you need, and then you would wait. It was not a passive waiting. It was not a relaxed waiting. It was an active waiting. Your preparations have been complete. Your work is done, and you are ready to present and answer questions if called on. Your people are trained, and they're out doing their tasks. You got up in that morning, and you groomed yourself, and you're properly attired in the right uniform and you've arrived early you found your seat at the table and you are waiting in anticipation and you don't know how long it'll be and you are prepared to wait as long as necessary because you're ready Jesus said be ready and he's told us there is a delay are you okay with that? are you okay? the person in charge has told us that us the people who are not in charge that there is a delay of undetermined length. So be ready and keep working. Are you okay with that? Uh, of course, sir. <laughs> it's the right answer, right? In other words, we are the ones he's in charge. We are following him. This is what he's told us. So of course we're okay with it. He says, be ready and do your preparation in advance. Third thing he says is, be faithful and wise. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. You know, it's not enough to be smart. There are lots and lots of smart people who are sneaky or conniving or shrewd or double-minded or evil. And Jesus is saying, be found faithful. Doing the job the master has given you to do. Caring for others. And in Jesus' example here, the servant is in charge of his master's entire household in his absence. It's a position of great responsibility. But he's still the servant. He's not the master. He is the manager. He's not the owner. And so faithfulness will mean self-denial, delayed gratification now for rewards later. God rewards faithful service with greater responsibility. Look at verse 48. But Jesus, Jesus says, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed, <clears throat> I can goof off for a while and still be done on time. 
And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As far as the day and the hour, God has made it very clear that nobody knows that except God the Father. So stay alert because it's going to happen without any warning you know, I think there's a danger as we read our Bible, and there are certain clues that are given in different places about here's what's supposed to happen, and then the Lord is going to return. And I think there's a danger of looking at those to go, those aren't quite completed. And so the return of Christ can't happen quite yet. I've got plenty of time. I can go have fun. I can go do my own thing. I can live it up. I can sow my wild oats now and then return to Christ and ask his forgiveness, and everything will be fine. That is a lack of real relationship and faith. You know, are you in love with Jesus Christ or not? If you're in love with Jesus Christ, then why take one more fling with the world first? Put Christ first. If two men, they're working together, one's taken, one's left. Is that fair? Two women are working together, doing the same work, one's taken, one's left. What's the difference? They look alike on the outside. The difference is the inner life. And what one has done with her heart, that's the part that really matters. Who owns your heart? What have you done with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday you're going to be asking, what will he do with me? I mean, to make his point, be aware, be ready, be faithful and wise, Jesus tells a parable, which is a little story with a big point. And sometimes we make them try to carry too much weight. In fact, I had an old Sunday school teacher who I probably was picking, picking, picking at too many of the details. And in exasperation, she would say, every analogy breaks down somewhere along the way. So don't miss the big point, picking at the little details. But here's the story that Jesus told. Verse, chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven, which remember, Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven actually 31 times. And this is the 31st time that he talks about it. He doesn't talk about it again after here. The kingdom of heaven which is really the reign of heaven or the reign of God. It's, it's where God is fully in charge and everything is operational. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now this is a recurring picture, not in the whole Bible, but in the New Testament primarily, where Jesus, who's king of kings and lord of lords, comes into this world as a servant to find and to fetch his bride. Pastor John Piper was preaching on this passage. Let me quote him. He says, King Jesus came into the world to take a wife, not a harem and not for sex, but to give her pleasure that makes sex taste like cardboard. He paid for her with his life, and he is now at work by his spirit and by his word, purifying and beautifying her for himself and for her joy. So Jesus came into this world looking for his bride. You know why? Because she's lost. Jesus came calling to her. She's in the world, but she's not of the world. She is in trouble. She lives among sinful people, and she's tripped into sin herself a few times. And, and the, she's the bride of Christ. So as he calls, the bride hears his call and leaves the world and leaves her family and leaves it all behind to find and to follow Jesus. Well, the bridegroom is Jesus. In fact, he referred to himself that way. In Matthew 9, the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus, and they've got a complaint. They say, how come the Pharisees fast 
which is intentionally denying yourself food so that you'll have spiritual advancement. And he says, and the disciples of John fast, but your disciples don't fast. And Jesus said, this is in Matthew 9, 15, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So the bridegroom is Jesus. The bride is the people that God has called who have responded, who have fallen in love with Jesus and have become his church. The bride is the church of Jesus Christ in the world. The bride is everyone from every nation who has heard the call of Christ and leaves the world and leaves their family behind, leaves everything else behind to find and to follow and to cherish Jesus. In Ephesians 5, Paul explained it this way, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So the day is coming, it's not here yet, when the bridegroom arrives and he will scoop his bride up in his arms and hold her close forever. You know, how, here's how the Bible describes that exciting day. This was given to us by the Apostle John who had this vision of Christ in the future as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's recorded in the last book in the Bible called Revelation. It's in chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for our our Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the words of God. That's going to be glory. That will be the day when darkness and doubt are over, when working and waiting are finished, when we who love the Lord, Jesus Christ, our Savior, finally gaze into his eyes, take his face in our hands, and hold him close. But we're not there yet. If we go back to Jesus' parable about this coming kingdom of God, here's what we've established. Jesus is the king who will be coming to reign in his kingdom. And Jesus came to earth looking for his beloved, who is to become his bride. And Jesus has paid the price. He's paid the dowry with his own life. But he's delayed in his return, so we don't know when it will be. We cannot know that. Not even Jesus knows that. The church is the bride of Christ. And we are to be wise, wise in our waiting and in our worship, wise in our waiting and in our working, shining the light of Christ, reflecting it into this world as we wait. So this really is a story of the the time we spend between the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his return as king of kings to claim his bride. So then let's look at this parable again. Verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Five of them were foolish. For when the foolish ones took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Without oil, you don't have any lamp to burn. 
But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy. Jesus is saying, be aware and be ready. All of these virgins know at least one of the two people getting married. That's interesting. The bride really doesn't even factor in this story. All of them come to wait for the bridegroom to return, but they're not all the same. And the key difference between the two groups, and I don't think it's significant that they're exactly the same size, could have been four and six, could have been three and seven. Jesus said it was five and five. But there's a key difference. Preparation. Some of them are ready. Some of them are not. Some of them have nothing with them but the lamp. They look the part. They look just like the rest. But they have no substance. They haven't done the hard work on the inside. To light a lamp, you need oil. So on the outside, they're looking the part, but they do not have the oil that they need on the inside of the lamp. And Jesus is giving us a word picture here, describing people who come to church. You know, who are around the people of God, people who know all about Jesus, but have never asked him to forgive their sin and to be their savior and to be the king in their heart and to take residence there. I mean, these are people who are part of the church. They might be sitting right next to you. Don't look now. (laughs) But they look just as religious as anybody else. They look just as righteous as the next person. But God's Holy Spirit is not in them because they've never said, God, if you're truly God, then come into my life and forgive my sin. So they like being around the other people of God. They like the positions they're given to hold. They like to know about the bridegroom, but they've never done the internal heart preparation to invite God into their own heart and to place Jesus in charge. So they were foolish to think that just showing up with the right lamp was all they needed. Verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. See, these disciples are... Concerned with when, when, when. Jesus is delayed. When is he coming? That's bothered them. It's bothered people in the church for 2,000 years. You know, the disciples, and this bothered me for a while too, the disciples all signed on with Jesus because they were convinced that he was the promised Messiah. The promised Messiah, they were sure, was going to come and bring freedom and deliverance, which is true. They assumed, wrongly, that it would be deliverance from the Romans who were their overlords at the time. So they signed on with Jesus because he had these powers to do miracles like raise people from the dead, give sight to the blind, feed people with a little boy's lunch, on and on and on, walk on water. He did all these miracles proving he was God. He had the power only God would have. So they signed on with him saying, this is a sure win. But time went by and when they went to Jerusalem the last time, he got arrested, tortured, and put to death. And then he came back from the dead. And 40 days later, he's gathering them all together for one last time. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they ask their burning question. They go, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's why they signed on with them. They wanted to be in the king's court when he, he did the dramatic, got rid of the overlords, and let them have their own kingdom again. And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they're gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by him in white robes and said, men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand gazing into the sky, into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So when is Jesus coming back? Becomes their question. The when. And Jesus had already told them, don't worry about the when. Are you ready? Paul had to deal with the same when he wrote parts of the New Testament. If you take the writings of Paul and put them in order, this area of the, of the return of Christ is one that's way up in the air. The first book he wrote was 1 Thessalonians. And it's a letter, and in chapter 4, he's talking about, I don't, you don't need to grieve like the rest of the world that has no hope, because we believe that Jesus is going to return, the trumpet call of God will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, comfort each other with these words. Where did Paul think he was going to be? He thought he would be alive. He thought he would still be here. You get to 2 Thessalonians, and he says, look, it's going to take a little longer than you had thought. Stay steady and keep working. You get to Philippians 1, which he wrote later, and he goes, I can hardly wait to go be with Jesus. It would be my advantage if I were to die and go see him face to face in heaven. And then finally, as he's going, are we going to be separated from the love of Christ? In Romans 8, I think this is his grand finale. He goes, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. No tribulation, no uh, angels, no height, no depth, no hell, uh, you know, no, uh, no death, none of that. When Jesus loves you and you love him back and you enter into a relationship with each other, you are in it for eternity. Well, Peter wrote some about this too in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 3 says, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. I think that's how you know they're a scoffer. Um, <laughs> following their own sinful desires, they'll say, where's the promise of his coming? Jump to verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Jesus is telling his followers, he's going to be delayed. Just keep trusting him, keep working and waiting and watching expectantly. This verse, they all became drowsy and slept. Yeah, life goes on. And if you have a, a, an acute crisis that ha pops up, you're going to stretch yourself as long as you can. But, you know, uh, most of us within 24 hours, we have to get some sleep. Certainly, uh, you know, beyond that, you, you become dysfunctional. You've got to get some rest. And so sleep is just part of everyday life. At least it's supposed to be. We rest so that we can work. And we wait and we watch expectantly because we don't know when. We've been denied that knowledge on purpose. So we need to live in a constant state of readiness because sooner or later, probably later, the cry will be heard. And that says that in verse 6. But at midnight here, they're waiting, they've gotten drowsy, they're sleeping, but at midnight there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. Now let's go back to that commander's call. <laughs> My little grandson just got to the back door and he's excited to see his grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> So we go back to the, the commander's call. You're there in the room. The commander's not there yet. Everybody's standing, having small talk, waiting, 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 waiting. But there's at least one person who's watching at the door or out the window for the first clue that the commander is going to show up because maybe his car is going to pull up or somebody's going to open a door and you'll see him walking down the hall and that someone comes in the room and sounds the alarm to the conference room. He's in sight. Get ready. Stand by. Now when that happens, there is time to stop talking small talk 
There is not time to go make a phone call. There is time to straighten your uniform. It is not time to go shopping. There is time to stand up at attention. There is not time to go retrieve your report from your desk. Be aware. Be ready. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet call of God. It is going to happen someday. There's nothing standing in the way. It could happen today. Now, personally, I'd rather be, like to be about 100 years old and in good health, surrounded by kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, maybe great-greats, and also here with our wonderful church, and then hear the sound of the trumpet call of God and see Christ flash across the sky from east to west and claim us as his own and then soar up to meet the Lord in the air, just like the Bible says. And I'm not the first person to have this as an ideal way to go meet Jesus. And I'm probably not going to be the last. And it's not up to me. And so this parable is a warning that says, be aware, be ready, watch, work, wait expectantly. Because someday Jesus the King will return for his bride. Will you be one of the wise, one of the prepared ones, one who's filled with God's Holy Spirit, one who's been working and waiting patiently? Or will you be found to be one of those foolish who looked apart but wasn't ready, didn't have the Holy Spirit inside, tried to borrow somebody else's faith, hung around God's people, but never became one of them? I mean, look at the warning from Jesus. Verse 7, Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there won't be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. This oil in the story. Bloomberg's commentary said this, quote, But the oil should probably not be allegorized despite frequent and conflicting suggestions that take it to refer to such things as good works, faith, grace, or the Holy Spirit, because none of those can be bought. They're all gifts that we have to receive. Jesus apparently wants to teach that spiritual preparedness may not be transferred from one individual to another. All people are responsible for themselves. I can't make sinner's prayer for you. You can't make it for me. I can wish my kids into heaven, but they have to choose Jesus themselves. You can't wish your favorite people into heaven. You can't grab somebody else's faith at the last minute. You can't borrow somebody else's relationship with Jesus Christ. It's impossible. You either have your own and invite him into your life. You've responded to Christ by faith, to his gracious invitation, or you don't have any because you think what you've got is enough on your own. You can't live on the faith of your mother. You won't get into heaven because your uncle was a preacher or your dad was a deacon. While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Can you imagine the horror of standing at the door of heaven and having Jesus say from the other side of the door, Truly, I do not know you. I mean, you had a lamp, and it was pretty. You hung out with godly people. You waited. You worked. You had religion. 
And like people liked you. And people around you assumed that you had the inner faith, a true light from Christ. But your lamp was empty. And you didn't do anything about it when there was an opportunity. Jesus said, truly I say to you, I do not know you. You don't have to take that risk. You can know for sure today. Do something about it today. Jesus said, be ready. He says, watch therefore, for you do not know neither the date nor the hour. It really is as simple as quietly praying, saying, Jesus, I've heard your word today. I need your forgiveness in my life. I will give you my heart in exchange for your forgiveness. I will give you my heart, broken as it is, in exchange for your heaven forever. I love you. Amen. Dear Jesus, I pray that us here in the room will have thought through this and have come to the place of saying, I need Jesus as my Savior. Maybe there's somebody here in the room who's never done that. Would you like to today? Is there anybody just quietly, while we pray, you just raise your hand and say, Jesus, come into my heart and life. I need a Savior, and you're the only one. Jesus, I thank you that you extend that gracious invitation to each one of us. Like your other disciples, you'd say, don't worry about the when. Worry about are you ready? Look at your heart and do the, the soul work that needs to be done. Jesus, give us the courage to invite you in and then to live as sons and daughters of God. Thank you for this word to us. Amen.